A couple of things as they're handing these out to you. I, I, was, I was going somewhere last week, and I, and I saw someone wearing this shirt, and I had this shirt. That's an awesome shirt. And I remember that I had it, so I wore it this morning. So guys do like, oh, where'd you get that shirt? i got to buy that shirt, too. Because guys like wearing the same thing, so we don't feel all alone. You know what happens when a girl, like, see another girl wearing her dress? She's like, oh, you buy it off the rack, really. You think someone else is not going to have the same dress? Whatever. Okay. Just worse when you show up to, like, a party and you're both wearing the same dress. Oh. Anyway. Uh, if you would like to help uh, set up communion, it's really simple. Uh, the lady who's in charge of it asked me to let you guys know that we're looking for new people to help do communion. Uh, you, you just put the crackers and the wine out. Don't drink the wine in the back when no one you know. Whatever. It's, it's probably really simple. Uh, if you have a smartphone, you have a QR reader, you can actually just scan that right there and sign up there. Or you can sign up in the, in the back. You probably only have to do it like once every month and a half or something. Also, as Christy was talking about, we do need help to watch kids at the 815 service. And if you would be inclined to do that, let them know at the Welcome Center as well. They'll get your name over to Christy. I mentioned this all three services last week. How many people signed up to help? Zero. You guys are awesome. All right. Uh, I have one announcement to give before we get started. Uh, about 35 to 40% of giving that comes in the element comes in online. Can you put that back there for me? Uh, it comes in online. Let's put the plates. Thank you. Just don't forget to put it back so that Ryan's not like, where's my words? Right. Okay, anyway, uh, about 35, 40% comes in online. And so what we have done is we've uh, changed our online giving system. And so what you'll do is you'll, if you give online, you'll log in and you'll see this. Uh, if you just always give like one time, it'll be on the, on the left right there. Just, and on the right, though, if you give like on a consistent basis, you can actually make an account. And in this account, you can look at everything you've given throughout the year. You can print statements for yourself of what you've given. Uh, if you have kids going to camp, uh, and we'll make some things for you where you can actually, you know, so it doesn't hit like camp cost comes. Oh, my goodness, how am I going to pay for it? You can take out 25 bucks a month and put it towards that kid's camp. So you can do all these different things. Now, you you have the power now. Uh, before, what happened is if you have a recurring monthly donation or every two weeks or whatever that you give, uh, what would happen is if, say, your job changed or something like that and you know made more or less, whatever it is, and you wanted to give more or less, you'd actually have to send an email to a bookkeeper. She'd have to change it for you. You can actually change it now. Like, oh, Christmas is coming. I'll give zero. You know, Don't do that. Anyway, so, uh, but you can do that also if you are already signed up and you are giving uh, in a consistent basis, like you have it every, you know, first of the month or every twice a month, it's, this much comes out, you will automatically have a new account created. So you don't have to go back and redo it again. Within the next two weeks, you'll get an email from a bookkeeper. She'll say, here's your account information. Then you can log on and do all the stuff you need to do. It it's really gives you a lot more access and flexibility in how you give online because our culture is totally going, seriously, I, I, someone's tried to sell me cookies for the little kids thing the other day, and I had to write a check. I hadn't written a check for like two years in like April. I'm like, wow, okay, hope there's money in there. You know, whatever. Because so, I, I give online because, you know, I just, I, I don't trust these, these check things. Anyway, so you got any, if you have any questions, uh, Mikey should be here after the service. He's a guy that uh, does sound as well, and so you'll, you can go ask him any questions you have with that. He's the one. He's our, actually our web uh, developer, and so he put this all together so it all works well. It's all totally secure. Not to worry about it. We're, you know, no one's stealing your credit card and going off to San Francisco and buying beauty products. Okay, people. <laughs> 
so we do this thing at Elements called the email update. And uh, if you guys want to know what's going on around here, you can sign up for the email update. And once a week, you'll get an email from me that tells you what's going on. A couple weeks ago, I talked about this. Someone stole my credit card. I was at a restaurant in San Luis Obispo, and someone took a picture of my credit card and then went to San Luis Obispo and tried to buy beauty, or uh, San Francisco tried to buy beauty products. Whatever. Okay, so there you that That's the story. Now you're in the know. So we won't steal your credit cards and then go to San Francisco and buy beauty products. You guys, you guys. Welcome to Element. Uh, if you're new, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the elders here. There are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have it. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on all the communion tables throughout the room. If you have a smartphone, you can download apps called Uversion. Click on Live. It'll bring us up by GPS in your smartphone. You will get the sermon notes and verses and questions. Why don't you stand with me reading God's Word? This is Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11. It says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Let's pray. Father, uh, this morning I ask that we'd be a people who understand that when you speak things and your word goes out, it does not come back without accomplishing the purpose for which you sent it. And that we'd be a people who trust and honor you with our lives because you are a God who is trustworthy and true. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so this is Genesis week 35. It's kind of interesting because of all the little breaks that we've had, like Mother's Day and Father's Day and Easter. If you're married, you could like got pregnant right at the beginning of this, and you could have had your baby by now. My friend Donald, he and his wife got, got pregnant a little bit ago. They're, they're going to have their baby, and it's going to be like six months old by the time we're done with Genesis. How sweet is that? You're like, it's not sweet at all. Speed it up, buddy. Yeah. Seriously, we spent three weeks in chapter 21. I mean, we're still in chapter 21 this week, but we're going to round it off. Now, what you see at the end of chapter 21 is that God starts to round all of his promises out and bring his promises together, but not exactly how we think it should happen. So for the last two weeks, we've been talking about how this is God's story and not our own. Today kind of goes along with that. Uh, God does things in his timing and his way, and usually that means he makes his people wait for certain things. Waiting in Americans society is not our strong suit if you've never noticed that uh, we love microwaves and fedex and express lanes we hate traffic we hate being put on hold we hate the post office we really hate the dmv if we weren't smart enough to make an appointment before we showed up we just hate these things and sometimes it's really frustrating because you turn to the scriptures and you look at the bible and you got this all-powerful and all-wise god who is always telling his people to wait now you get Abraham, he's 75 years old. You will be the ancestor to a great nation. He waits 25 years for the promises to start coming about. Israel, they're in captivity in Egypt. God says, I will lead you out. 400 years later, it finally happens. God goes to a guy named Moses. You're going to lead these people out. It takes 40 years after that for it to actually take place. They're always waiting on God. Psalm 37, verse 7 says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Verse 34 says, Wait for the Lord and keep his way. He will exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you will see it. Sometimes throughout the scriptures, these, these ideas of waiting and faith are so closely linked that they become interchangeable terms with each other. Throughout the Old Testament, God promises a Messiah, a Redeemer would come. This would be Jesus. In Luke 2.25, you meet this really old guy who at one point in his life, God says, you will not die before you see the Messiah show up. He's like, oh, great. So he's like on his deathbed, really old, and that's when it happens. Because that's what God does, makes him wait his entire life. 
Even after Jesus comes and dies and rises from the dead, the disciples are like, hey, is this it? Are, are we good to go? In Acts 1, 6, Jesus said, they said, Lord, are you going to at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus goes, wait, in Jerusalem. It'll be like, and so then he sends the Holy Spirit. This whole idea is throughout the scriptures. In Romans 8, 23 to 25, it says, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. But hope that is no hope, in, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. 43 times explicitly the Old Testament says the words to wait on the Lord. And when you look at Abraham's life, you realize how hard that actually can be. You get to the New Testament. Jesus shows up. Jesus is a God of action. Just in the book of Mark, the words immediately referring to Jesus occur over 20 times. He immediately did this. He immediately did that. He doesn't waste time, but he still makes his people wait. You got Lazarus, who is his friend. You know, they come to him. Hey, Lazarus, your, your buddy, he's, he's sick. Can you go help? Yeah, I'll be there. It makes him wait. Lazarus died. Jesus raised him from the dead, which is also awesome, but he makes his buddy wait. There's a centurion who walks up to Jesus and says, hey, you know, my daughter, she's really sick. Can you do something? He goes, yeah, take the day and a half journey home. About the time you get there, I'll, I'll take care of it. Makes him wait. One of our favorite stories in the scriptures is when Jesus walks on the waters to his disciples who are sitting in a lurkety little boat in the middle of the wake being just tossed by the wind and the waves and he comes walking out. Oh, that's such a wonderful story. But it tells you Jesus came at the fourth watch of the night. That's between 3 and 6 a.m. So if they got in their boat at dusk the night before, they've been out there for a good six to eight hours just being beat up by these wind and the waves before Jesus shows up. For us in our lives, that's how we feel a lot about our lives. We're just getting beat up all the time. We're waiting on God to like put all things right in our lives, and it's just not happening yet. A.G. Rawlinson, he wrote this about the story of Jesus walking on the water. He says, Faint hearts may even have begun to wonder whether the Lord himself had not abandoned them to their fate or to doubt the reality of Christ. They are to learn from this story that they are not forsaken, that the Lord watches over them unseen, that the living one, master of the wind and the waves, will surely come quickly for their salvation, even though it be in the fourth watch of the night. Now, Ben Patterson, he writes this, what God does in his while we wait is just as important as what we are waiting for. A couple years ago, I talked to you guys about this marshmallow test that scientists did with little four-year-old kids. They put four-year-olds in a room, and they put a marshmallow in front of them. They said, you know, you can have one marshmallow now, but if you wait, you can have two marshmallows later. Like epic struggle for a kid, right? Oh, my goodness, what do I do? And so they found out that kids who were able to wait, they developed strategies. They would start to sing songs. They would tell stories. They'd play with their fingers. Some kids would lick the table around the marshmallow. <laughs> Maybe some rubbed off when they put it there. I don't know. You know. And, and they found out that, that the kids who actually waited and, and didn't give up, they were more socially competent. They're more able to cope with stress and not give up. Amazingly, they even scored when they got into, into college, they scored 210 points higher on average on SAT scores. It's amazing. The grabbers had higher addictive behaviors. They had higher divorce rates. So if you are looking to get married, do the marshmallow test with your fiancé. You can have one now or two later. That's not a euphemism for anything. <laughs> Marshmallows. Learn to wait. All right. All right. I mean, and and I, I, I totally get it because I probably would have eaten the marshmallow. Cause I, but I would have made some excuse like, well, I didn't really want to. I only wanted one, so I just eat the one now. It would have been my excuse. Probably a lot of people do that. And this, this idea that human weakness is nothing new. I think Adam and Eve, I don't think it was like an apple tree or a palm. I think it was a marshmallow tree. 
And like, oh, I'm going to eat that marshmallows. And in Romans, Paul comes back and he says, you know, while you're waiting and all these things happen in your life, sometimes during that you actually suffer. And he says in Romans 5, 3 through 5, not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. And so the point is waiting is not just something you do while you wait to get what you want. It's the process that God uses in making us what he wants us to be. And so this whole idea when we say we're going to wait on God, this trust, it means we will trust God in everything. We don't make a plan B. We trust him for what he's going to do. Now, when you look at Abraham's wife, life with his wife, Sarah, they tried to make their own plan B, and it backfired horribly. The world is still at war today because of it. So what we're going to do this morning is I'm going to walk you through God's promises again. I'm going to show you how they're linked to waiting and what it takes to wait in the midst of it. Okay? So open your Bibles to Genesis 21. I actually not go back through the first 21 verses because we covered those the last two weeks. Uh, but the first promise they give to, he gives to Abraham is you will have a son. So the promise is a son. The son is to lead to offspring as numerous as the sands on the seashore. So what we looked at the last two weeks of Genesis 21 is that he gets this promised son. But he only has the one. And so how does this son become as numerous as sands on the seashore? How does he become a nation? Well, Abraham's got to wait. And what waiting does in this is waiting takes patient trust. Abraham doesn't see the nation. He only ever sees the boy. We must be a people who wait and trust God's reasons for making us wait in the midst of this. God has a different perspective on how everything works. In 2 Peter 3.8, it says, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the, Lord is like, with the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So you and I, we're a people where we want all of God's resources, but we don't really want his timing. We want him to do it our way when we want it. And when we wait for things patiently, it shows that we give God the benefit of the doubt in everything. I mean, for you, if God's promised you something, are you willing to wait day after day for it, even when it doesn't show up because you trust God's promises to make it come true? In, in our society today, you have people being single in our, in, our, in our culture. It is not a good thing. Everybody, nobody wants to be single. We all want to hook up and, and find somebody. And I see people just hook up after hook up looking for that person. Oh, that person likes me? Well, I like them too. And they jump into relationship after relationship after, and nobody waits. It's like, oh, there's a potential at my fingertips. I'll just jump at that. The question you've got to ask is, will you wait and let God seek the best for your life? Do you have the ability not to go for that forbidden marshmallow? Okay, so the second promise is uh, to Abraham is you will be blessed. You will be blessed. And this is to be a blessing. It should lead to the entire world being blessed. So Genesis 21, starting in verse 22, we'll walk through the rest of the chapter with the rest of these promises. Uh, Genesis 21, 22. At that time, Abimelech, who was a non-believing king, and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. So Abraham is in an unbelieving area, and God so blesses him that everyone begins to notice. This guy recognized that God is with Abraham. Now, what Abraham should have done has been a blessing to all those around him. And I think he's starting to do that. That's why God blessed him. When you look at verse 23, you see this little story that happened before. Uh, Abimelech says in verse 23, Now, therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me. Now, why does he say that? Because three weeks ago, if you missed it, you can listen to it. Abraham did precisely that. He dealt falsely with him. He said his wife was his sister. Abimelech took her as his wife, and then God almost killed everybody because of it. It's not a good thing. That's not being a blessing. That's being a hooligan. 
All right, God calls Christians, we are to be a blessing to our neighbors, and we should be good citizens. So he says, do not deal falsely with me or my descendants or with my posterity, but as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. Essentially what happens is Abimelech sees, oh, God smoked Sodom and Gomorrah. How about uh, Abraham, you don't do that to me. That'd be, that'd be really nice. We've got a deal. You'd be nice to me. I'll be nice to you. Verse 24, and Abraham said, I will swear. Now, three weeks, what you saw, how what Abraham did with Abimelech, that God stepped in and said, I have made these promises. These things will come true. And it gave Abraham great confidence in God. But what also happened on the other side is God humbled Abraham. You've got to go apologize to this guy you lied to. You've got to go pray for him. And he had to go and do that. And so what you also see that waiting requires confidence and humility. Confidence and humility. Confidence in who God is, but humility enough to realize that we're not the ones that make it all happen. God is. Isaiah 32, verse 17 says, The fruit of righteousness will be peace, and the effect of righteousness will be quietness and confidence forever. So God blesses Abraham, and these two things start to come about in his life, this quietness and confidence. Confidence, this is in the one who sustains him. He's fearless of the future. And quietness is the word humbleness. It's the opposite of arrogance. It's the opposite of boasting. It's the recognition of our limits and that God, when he blesses us, we are to bless those around us. I will tell you, waiting is something only humble people can do with grace. And this is why God teaches us to wait constantly in our lives. In, in our American society, the more important you are, the less you wait. Right? You walk in, oh, hey, I'm a movie star. Oh, we got a table for you. You walk in, hi, I'm Aaron. Yeah, you can wait there for two hours. You know, and that's, we, we sit there and wait. I, I'll tell you, waiting is really good for most people. We don't like it when we're like, how dare you make me wait? I'm important to me. You know, that kind of thing. You know, it, when we wait, it lets us know we're not the ones actually in charge. And when you, when you think about God's promises to us and there's certain things you're waiting for in your life, it lets you know that you're actually waiting for someone. And the third promise God made to Abraham is he promised Abraham land. And what you'll see here is Abraham actually gets a well. He never sees the whole land actually become his. Abraham's wealthy. He's kind of got a nice little chunk of land he's living on, but he doesn't own it because he's a nomad. And so he needs water. Here, here's my advice for you. It's all I really know about living in the desert. But if you live in the desert, you need a well. That's what I got, right? I learned that from the Bible. I'm good. So he digs a well. Abimelech's guys come and they take this well. So while they're kind of working out the relationship, Abraham brings this up. Chapter 21, verse 25. When Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me and I have not heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech. And the two men made a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart. And Abimelech said to Abraham, what is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have Set apart. He said, These seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Okay, let me explain this. Essentially, he says, I dug the well, your guys stole it, these are a witness to that. Imagine you go home tonight, and if, I don't know if you own your house or not, but imagine you own your house, all right, and it's not a condo, it's like a house in the yard, and your neighbor in the middle of the night takes down the fence and then takes your entire backyard and makes it theirs. And the next day, they show up at your front door and they say, Hey, how you doing? Let's be peaceable neighbors. And you say, no, 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 we're not even peaceful neighbors to you invite my backyard back. This is kind of the deal. This is what's happening. They're trying to work it out. These seven ewe lambs are all part of that, trying to work out the relationship so it actually works. Which I will tell you, sometimes God's promises to you requires you actually do something. Right? You're not just sitting there all day. You actually get up and you actually do something in the midst of it. In this one, it all gets worked out. Verse 31, therefore that place was called Beersheba because there both men swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phi called the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba. This means he plans to be there for a long time and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. He has church. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. 
So in chapter 1, he kind of got this ideal Norman Rockwell kind of painting. He's got his wife, baby boy, real estate, good business, shade trees, dream house, cool, fresh water. Life is good. You will all want this one day. You'll want like a house and a good marriage and great kids, you know, and people serving you. Just all nice and wonderful, right? But that's not actually where the story ends. The story goes on from there. What you have to understand is that, again, Abraham gets this well, but he doesn't get all of the land, which also tells you that waiting on God requires an inextinguishable hope. You must hope for what God is going to do. In Romans 8, which we started with earlier, it says, For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope, we wait for what we do not yet have. We wait for it patiently. Again, he has a well. He doesn't have the land, but he was promised the land. So he's hoping for what God's going to actually do. Throughout the scriptures, do you know that hope is actually a form of waiting as well? It's, it's like a groom or a bride on their, on their wedding day waiting for their mate to come walking down the aisle. It's a runner at the Olympics waiting for the, the gun to go off when they start the race. It's like a six-year-old at 6 a.m. On, on Christmas morning or 4 a.m., depending on whatever time your kids decide to get up and go, go do it, right? If you are waiting on God, you're obeying, not seeing results. The scriptures have promises over and over and over for you. As a matter of fact, in Galatians 3.28-29, it says, There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ and you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. God has promised things to us. To Abraham, he's got a nation and a blessing and land. That's God's covenant. What you have to remember is when God made that promise to Abraham, Abraham was a pagan. He wasn't a follower of God. He's probably uh, living in the land of Ur, and he's, and he's worshiping Nanar, the moon god, at that point. And God shows up in Genesis 12, 1, and says, Leave your country, your people, your father's household. Go to the land that I'm going to show you. And in verses 2 and 3 of chapter 12, he gives him all of these promises. These promises weren't even confirmed for another 25 years. In the middle of it all, he gives Abraham this, this great sign of covenant called circumcision, which maybe didn't even look that great in the middle of it. It's like, oh, wow, I don't get the boy, but I get to do that. Okay, you know, it's, how, how fun is that? You know, but this whole idea, the call of Abraham is one of Scripture's theological turning points. You know, prior to that time, God dealt with the human race as a whole. From this point on, God's plan is carried out through this family. And through that family, God gives his biblical revelation to humanity. And from that family, the Savior, Jesus, is eventually born. Everything that deals with covenant throughout Genesis shows an interplay between human beings and God and his sovereignty and this whole idea of patient trust in what he is doing. God announces his purposes. No you know, action of man can thwart what God's going to do. Abraham responds to this revelation and faith by obedience. And then it's years later when the final of the blessings start coming about. Years later. I mean, as I stated you know, earlier, our society hates to wait. We just totally hate it. But God is always true to his word, no matter what people say. We live in an environment, you know, this, it's called American society, and we think it's, it's lethal. And it is, but Abraham's was no less so. Our society, like his, is filled with values and ideas about family and success and comfort and happiness. And we never notice it because we've got our heads shoved so far inside it, but we don't see what's actually going on. I mean, messages fly at us all the time. You know, oh, you can have anything or do anything you want. You don't have to wait for anything. We'll help you get there faster. Act now. Low monthly payments. You know, it's, it's easy to get there. If you work harder and faster, you can have these things too. And I mean, even, even in our culture, it's like, oh, it's, it's okay if you get old. Just don't look old. All right? You know, no liver spots, no wrinkles. You know, God forbid you go bald or something. You don't want that to happen. Oh, my goodness. You know, just don't look old. Everybody's frantic and exhausted. It's okay for you to be that way, too. Just take our stuff, and you'll look better as you are frantic and exhausted. But I will tell you, no amount of pushing or prodding on Abraham's part could have made God rush in what he was planning to do through Abraham. 
because it is God's story, and it is about God's glory and not our own. Soren Kierkegaard once wrote this, The press of busyness is like a charm. Its power swells. It reaches out seeking always to lay hold of ever younger victims so that childhood and youth are scarcely allowed the quiet and the retirement in which the eternal the eternal man fold a divine growth. God longs to grow us. And when we don't wait and we rush around, sometimes it makes us feel so important because we're oh so busy. Oh, I'm so busy. You know, I, I really can't do that because it makes us feel very important you know, because we look busy. And I'll tell you, most of the time with us rushing around, the danger is not that we renounce our faith. The danger is that we become so distracted and so rushed and so preoccupied that we settle for a mediocre version of what our faith was supposed to be. We're supposed to live a life that is full in the life of Christ, but we're rushing around so much we don't actually live that life. It is a great lie that hurrying and not waiting is going to get you more time. Even in the 1960s, Time magazine had an article that, that talked about expert testimony that's given to a Senate subcommittee on time management. And the essence was that technology in the next 20 years, you know, from the 1960s, that people are going to have to cut back on how many hours they work a week, how many weeks they work a year, and they'd all have to retire sooner because we'd have so much free time on our hands. What do people do with all their free time is what they asked. Well, we know today they watch TV is what they do. But, But seriously, 50 years later, and do you feel like you have more time? No, we're all just busy, just out of control. Things that are supposed to make our lives busier so we wouldn't have to wait so much make us busier and busier. We buy anything that promises to make us hurry. The best-selling shampoo in America combines shampooing and conditioning in one step. You don't got to wait for it. Number one pizza chain in America, Domino's. Why? Terrible pizza. You need some good pizza. If you think Domino's is great pizza... Go get some good pizza at some point, all right, and just, just, just try that. You know, originally, like, over a couple of years ago, the president of Domino's used to say, you know, we don't sell pizza, we sell delivery. They changed that in the last two years because everybody's like, yeah, I know, I can tell. It's cardboard with cheese on it. You know, and now it's like, oh, no, no, we know sell pizza, and they're trying to change their whole tune. There's a Detroit hospital ER that said, if you aren't seen in 20 minutes, your treatment is free. So business goes up 30% because none of us want to wait. None of us have patience. A few years ago, researchers did a study with mice, which I think is always sad because being a mouse is not a good thing because you're always treated like a guinea pig. But it would be better to even be a guinea pig because guinea pigs are going to be treated like mice. But anyway, whatever. Okay, so, so they did this study w- with mice, and, and what they did is they hopped them full of amphetamines to kill them to see how much it would take to kill them. And mice who were like in solitude or weren't around a bunch of other mice who were hopped up on amphetamines, it took 20 times the amount to kill them. And so all the mice are all hopped up. What happens is you have 20 t- less the amount of times... 20 times the amount less of amphetamines than in the mouses in solitude. And these mouse, these mouses, mice, mice, whatever, the, these mice are all hopped up on amphetamines. The, their hearts just started exploding because they're all, oh, we got it, oh, we got it, oh, we got it. And, and boom, boom, boom. And the scientists said their hearts went off like firecrackers. They all just started dying because they're all around all these other mice. They're all hopped up too. You know, so it's like a mob mentality. Like, you know, the Lakers win, the Lakers lose, or the Lakers play the game. You know, mob mentality. Everybody just kind of goes crazy. Is it wrong to think that something as dumb as a mouse is the only thing that gets caught up in something like that? No, we do too. This is why we we worship at McDonald's, not because of the food or the price, because it's fast food. When fast food first came out, you had to park your car, walk inside, order and sit down and eat the dumb food. We said, that's not what nature intended. Give us drive-thrus and minivans so we can eat in car like nature intended. That's what we want to do. In Alice in Wonderland, the, the Red Queen says this, Now here you see, it takes all the running you can do to keep in the same place. If you want to get someplace else, you must run at least twice as fast as that. And all our efforts not to wait and to hurry to get things, we get the exact opposite. 
And every time Abraham tried to rush God to do the things he thought it would help, it became a complete disaster. This is why the scriptures constantly tell you, be still and know that I am God. We wait on our great God. Uh, Genesis 49, verse 18, I wait for your salvation, O Lord. Psalm 25, verse 3, indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. Verse 5, lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Verse 21, may integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Psalm 27, verse 14, wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Psalm 31, verse 24, be strong, and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. Psalm 37, verse 34, wait for the Lord and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. Psalm 38, verse 15, but for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord, my God, who will answer. Psalm 130, verse 5, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. On and on and on it goes. 89 times in the book of Psalms it says, wait Wait, wait, God is good. He will come through. You must trust him. In Romans 12, 2, it reminds us, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. When you're not running around all hopped up like everybody else, that's when you have time and patience to sit back, and then you will what God's will is because you're silent and quiet before him. You stop doing it like everybody else. And these whole ideas that God's promises that he made, those promises have not ended. Those promises come to us as well. God promises to be our future and our hope. He calls us to be those who spread his truth, that we live in the covenant promises that he made, and we wait for him in everything. And don't get me wrong. I am not teaching fatalism where, where you just sit around and do nothing. If you don't love God, that's how it ends up. Oh, I'm just sitting around and God bets a thousand. I'll play video games. God will figure it all out, right? That, that's not what I'm saying at all. But it's, it's not the other side of this where a lot of people run around in crazy anxiety. I got this guy emails me all the time. He's like, oh, I got theological questions for you. And I'm like, all right, let's talk about it. And he's got this idea, you know, that, that, that God wants to reach the world and love the world. And I believe that too. We're on the same page. But he doesn't think he can ever go on vacation because God's going to stop working if he goes on vacation. I'm like, that's not how it works, all right? You know, we got to understand that God is the ends and God is the means of his plan. God works out everything according to his will. He is bigger than people. He is bigger than sin. And he even uses our sin to bring about his glory. God's intent is to always to make a people that are his possession to the praise of his glorious grace. That is God's plan. And he is the ends and he is the means. But part of the means in that is he takes you and I and sticks us in there and has us work with him. You and I patiently trusting him. And he makes this people he calls by his loving others around them, by telling them about Jesus, by teaching the scripture and and trusting what he says in prayer. And most importantly, this idea of patiently trusting him, of confident humility in him, and an indistinguishable hope in him that everything rests in God's hands. God is in absolute control, and he still uses you and I in the midst of that to bring about his purposes. And it doesn't mean that we are never busy. I mean, Jesus, Jesus usually had a lot to do. I mean, he, he was always going from some place to some other place, but he never allowed that to sever his connection with his father. Jesus was busy, but it never interfered with his love of God. He was busy, but he was never hurried. He was never hurried. And see, and just like God establishes this whole covenant with Abraham, he establishes one with you and I as well. It's called the new covenant that we live and trust and walk in his grace because he has been true to his promises. You know, the root word for covenant comes from a Hebrew word that blends two different words. It means to cut and create or to cut and to shape. And so God, in teaching us to wait just like Abraham, he's fulfilling this covenant by cutting our chains of sin and by shaping it and remaking us into his chosen people. I'll tell you, and eventually throughout the scriptures, God's promises are bigger and wider than any scripture writer could ever imagine. 
because it ultimately led to God's son, Jesus, who throughout history, billions of people have called on his name, and the blessing of these billions of people have touched other people's lives around them because we're supposed to be a blessing. What eventually happens is you've got this one little place with a well, and eventually this whole area turns into a nation called Israel, and it becomes a holy nation. And then the message goes out from that, and this becomes God's church as he reaches his people, which becomes you and me. And it starts with these promises to Abraham that took years and then decades and then centuries and then millennia to the point where Jesus actually comes. And it all comes to pass because God's promises never fail. And we must be those who trust and believe that. This is, this is the idea of communion. That when you take that cracker and you break it like his body was broken for us or dip it in the wine of the grape juice, it's this idea that his promises come to pass. He has not forsaken us. He has not given up on us. And even though it took years and decades and centuries and millennia, Jesus came and he fulfilled all the promises that God had made to his people. We are a people who can trust that because our God is trustworthy. The band's going to come up do a couple songs. And have you noticed all the songs this morning have this theme of waiting and trusting on God in the the midst of it? Uh, and, And that's still going to be true for the rest of these songs. And while you can take communion, uh, there's going to be some deacons and elders in the back. And if you guys need prayer, I'll tell you, one of the, one of the greatest things you can do while you're, while you're you know, waiting for, for God to do you know, some things in your life, maybe to work out some situations that you've been praying for, one of the best things you can do is pray. Because it helps you to remember that it is God who's going to bring everything out to fruition. I'll tell you, when you look at Jesus' life, the one thing Jesus never was was frantic, ever, ever, because he trusted his father, and he knew that his father's going to work all things out because God is trustworthy. I mean, again, we live in this thing today called the new covenant, and we live in that because God has been faithful and true to everything that he has said. And so in your life, while you wait for things, you trust that God is faithful and true. There's offering boxes on the side wall in the back. We give because God gave to us, so giving is part of our worship. And there's some food and stuff in the back as well where you guys can actually have relationships with each other and talk to each other and be like, hey, how long have you had to wait for that muffin or, you know, whatever? <laughs> the whole idea is that, yes, there are things in our lives that we still wait for. I mean, we, we pray for relationships to be restored. You know, we, we pray for the entire world to fall down and worship of who Jesus Christ is. And in, and in those things, we are people who patiently trust God because God is a good God, and he brings everything about in his timing. And, and the most beautiful thing in this, again, is Christ coming when God determined and God planned And again, years and decades and centuries and millennia, and yet Jesus does come. And he fulfills what God had promised to us as his people. And that is one of the things, the the main thing that we worship this morning is that God is always true to his promises. And so we can be a people who faithfully trust him as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being a God who has always been true. And yes, God, there are things in our lives that we are still waiting for today. Uh, You know, loved ones around us that we've been praying for, you know, friendships that need uh, to be restored, um, our neighbor across the street not to be such a yahoo, you know, whatever it is, God. Uh, you are a God who is faithful. And I ask that we would trust your timing and your plan and all of it. Have us be a people who don't run around frantic, who don't run around scared, but simply know that you, as our God, sees all things through to fruition and to the end. And we can trust you for all that you have done and all that you continue to do. Father, we long to be a people who worship you in spirit and truth. 
that you are the one in our lives that we had always been waiting for. And you came and you saved us and called us home. But have it not stop there. Have it go on to the place where the rest of the world around us is also blessed. Because you have given great blessing to us. And that we would be your hands and feet to the rest of this world. You being the ends and the means, but using us in the process of it. Father, you are the Father to all of us. And have us live as your children, being great glory to your name. Amen.